Shell unveils its new truck and Run on Less achieves 10 miles per gallon. Uber Freight deploys driverless trucks and the last mile revolution continues. I'm JP. And I'm Chad Prevost. And we'll be discussing these topics and more on this episode of What the Truck. So, Chad, um, this week you were at Atlanta at the ATA's TMC, Technology and Maintenance Council Conference. Uh, Tell us about the big story of that conference. Yeah, well, I mean, it felt like I needed um, some last mile delivery just to get into the building. Have you guys been to the world, the Georgia World Conference Center? I have not. Uh, It is one of the largest buildings, maybe the largest building I've ever been in in my life. Uh, I had to walk for miles. What's the point of taking an Uber from your hotel when when you get there, you have to walk miles to each of the various rooms? Um, But it it was a fascinating thing. Uh, we learned all kinds about what, what's happening with autonomous, what's happening with, uh, you know, the, the big, um, sexy vehicles. And, uh, I guess that's maybe one of the things that, that leaps out as an image was the shell starship. Have you heard about that? I did hear something about that. Um, obviously read Brian Strait, our editor's article about it, um, I know the inventor of the Starship had an earlier project called the Bullet Truck that came out in 2012 that um, did a coast-to-coast haul of you know, 65,000-pound um, cargo and achieved over 13 miles per gallon. Um, so w- what's, the, what's the deal with the Starship? Is it even better than the Bullet Truck? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's even better. I think that Bullet Truck you're talking about was built in uh, 2012, this uh, particular uh, thing, this spec, this amazing uh, starship, uh, was three years in the making. I think he originally conceived it 31 years ago. It took uh, 18,000 hours to build. It's made out of carbon fiber. Carbon fiber? Yeah, which seems like, like you know a like, bike is expensive with carbon fiber. Right. Did they say how much it costs? They, as far as I know, I, I'd never heard about a cost, but wouldn't we love to see all of our trucks run, you know, as, as cool as, as that? Um, it was made with a Cummins X15 engine uh, with a 6.2 configuration and a 2.5 ratio, six-cylinder engine, 1850 pounds of foot-pounds of torque. So all kinds of uh, amazing specs on this thing, and, and it was like it, it was it was veiled, and you know we didn't know how it looked on the trade floor, and then right. they unveiled it, and it was it was quite an event, showstopper. It seemed like you know squeezing extra fuel efficiencies out of diesel trucks was kind of one of the themes of the conference. I mean, it's interesting. On one hand, you have electric trucks, right, like Thor and Tesla building these completely you know, emission-free trucks. On the other hand, you have companies like Shell who are like, no, like, keep using diesel, please. It's not that bad. Like, we can make them really efficient and cool and futuristic, just like you know, these other amazing new products. Um, one of the things I was thinking about was a story that we did on the Run on Less study that was sponsored by Shell. 
and the Carbon War Room, and um, also the North American Council for Freight Efficiency. And what they did was they took seven different drivers um, who each drove for seven completely separate fleets, and they had seven different trucks, all spec'd out, you know, everything from Volvo to Freightliner, et cetera. And um, they basically just studied them over the course of, I think, like 90 days, their whole sort of like duty cycle, all different kinds of terrain and loads, yada, yada, yada. And they, those drivers actually achieved, um, I think, 10.1 miles per gallon as an average overall, which is you know, really far above. Really good. Like, yeah, I think the national freight or the national fleet average is like 6.4 miles per gallon. So this is like, you know, almost 50, yeah. you know, more than 50% greater. Um, and why do you think that is? So was it they were competing or how did they get these better results? I mean, I don't think they were doing like the absurd, like, you know, coasting and, you know, trying to hit all of the stoplights like you see in like the hypermiler competitions with like people's like personal cars. It wasn't like that. I think they had a mix of some, you know, nice products on their trucks, you know, maybe like solar panels and things like that to um, help power mm. the interior without, you know, using fuel. Um, you know, skirts on the trailers to sort of reduce air turbulence. Um, and, you know, maybe just some, some good driving behaviors. But I don't think they, you know, they were working, you know, they were, you know, fulfilling customers, you know, deliveries and doing what they're getting their miles in every week. So it wasn't like it was some crazy, you know, laboratory experiment. <laughs> And so, and so they were able to achieve that. Well, I mean, did we mention that the the, the Starship here um, can can record thirteen point four miles to the gallon, and and it, it's it's interesting. Like, you know, yeah, Shell sponsors it. They're, they're the ones that the the internal combustion engine, um, big oil, you know, producers are going to be behind. Right. Um, you know, the higher fuel efficiencies. It's it's a good thing that we're figuring out how to be more fuel efficient on the one it, hand. It right? is. I mean, just a quick stat. Um, 2017 was the first year that carbon emissions from transportation exceeded car in the U.S. exceeded carbon emissions for power, like electricity generation. Hmm. So all of the cars, trucks, planes, ships. Um, actually produce more carbon than, you know, coal-fired power plants last year. So that's a good thing, right? It's a good thing, but it's also saying, well, you know, so we're we're generating electricity with wind and solar, but now maybe let's take a look at, you know, diesel engines and and some other big sources of emissions. Yeah. Uh, And and how close do you think that we are um, from what we've seen this week uh, with – autonomous it's interesting so two um stories sort of came out about autonomous trucks this this week um the first was tesla's big announcement um yeah it was in the new york times it was pretty much everywhere that they have kind of suddenly announced that under everyone's noses they've been making you know running these uh autonomous trucks in the arizona desert now these trucks still have drivers in you know the cab they're not completely oh really is that how they did it yeah it's not completely driverless but um if you look at 
the other story, um, the Starsky truck story by Vishnu, that was actually about a autonomous test without anyone in the cab. Right. So it's, they're kind of like running neck and neck here. It's it's funny coming from back from the uh, the, the the ATA's TMC conference um, th- this this week, uh, and, and hearing what they had to say about autonomous, which was basically like, "Hey, technology is cool, um, and yes, the the trucking industry needs to be a part of pushing things." you know, don't be afraid, let's make it happen. But they were also like, let's make it happen in this realistic way where, you know, it was, it was all about, Hey, you know, the next step, everybody this year is going to be platooning at level one and two. And then I get back. So slow down for a second and break down what the levels of automation are or the levels of autonomous? The, uh, well, the five levels of autonomous for dummies um, is, is actually, there are actually six. Of course. <laughs> right? Um, first, I guess it was made by, these, the, these levels were made by um, a techie or something. But first, there is level zero. Um, and this one um, actually doesn't count because the driver is fully in charge. Hence the number zero. Okay, so this is like the level of technology of like my mother's Dodge Caravan in the 1990s, like going, <laughs> to, going to like AYSO soccer practice. Right, and is zero actually a number? Well, it's probably the uh, number that should apply to a vehicle of that caliber. <laughs> Oh, that's true. Um, But hey, level one, if we can get to that, is that um, it is basically feet off or hands off. That's level one. So that's basically like cruise control. You know, like adaptive cruise control. Yeah, I think if your your feet are off, that's definitely cruise control, right? But unfortunately, we don't we aren't able to take our hands off, so it's could be cruise control. Um, and then level two is hands off and feet off, which sounds pretty great, but eyes on. Right. So it's like don't you don't have to steer, you don't have to brake or accelerate, but if you aren't paying attention, you might die. Sounds a little dangerous, and it sounds like so, how some uh, accidents have happened with Tesla vehicles already. Yeah, there's the one guy who died. He decided to like try to read a book, and he... Um, but that's yeah. eyes off, and that is level three. Level three is hands off, feet off, eyes off, brain on. When do we get to turn our brains off? <laughs> level four oh, okay. uh, awesome. hands off feet off eyes off brain off in a constrained road environment right and so constrained road environment that doesn't mean like um you know a, a rat in a maze or like in a congested downtown that sort of means optimal road conditions right so right much like the starsky you know on the on a flat seven mile stretch of florida highway right, right. so Good, good visibility, little precipitation, well-marked roads, no sort of unpredictable traffic patterns. Like right. And level five is hands off, feet off, eyes off, brain off in an unconstrained environment, which anyone driving in a dense urban environment is, you know, knows how crazy and chaotic that could be. And that's level five. No one really expects to see that anytime soon. Some say possibly never, but how can you say never? Yeah, 
Yeah, I wonder about never. But basically, all the way through level four, I mean, the point is, is that we're talking about someone being in the car that has to use at least their brain in some situations, right? Yeah. So even level four, um, a truck driving like in a sort of constrained environment on a highway at some point is going to get off, go to a distribution center or a retail place, you know, has to drop off its load, right? Yeah. And so that's, you know, someone right. will be there for that. Um, and not to mention, actually, e- even thinking about a little bit of where the, the human element needs to come in <clears throat> is um, even thinking about the Starsky example, one of their, um, one of the issues that they ran into was, well, what happens if we have to refuel in the middle of this level four, you know, um, constrained environment? Right. How, how does that happen? Yeah, like, I feel like if your goal is just to get the driver out of the truck or something like that, then you have to deal with all of these other sort of logistical difficulties. I mean, even something like platooning, right, which sounds great. So, you know, the startup Peloton in California is developing this technology whereby one driver can be driving a truck down the highway. Another driver pulls up his truck sort of right behind the first truck, hits a button, this sort of autonomous technology takes over, brings him very close to the back of the truck so that he can take advantage of drafting for fuel efficiency. And the two trucks are sort of connected over the, you know, with some kind of wireless connection so that as soon as the first truck breaks or accelerates, the other truck is moving in a synchronized way with it. Right. But, but even even to achieve that, yeah. you have to figure out like, okay, does it make sense for us, for a carrier to line up all of its trucks on a certain stretch of highway? Like, do, are we going to have to let the first truck wait for the other ones to get there? What does that cost? You know, I, yeah. I feel like... There's a lot of coordinating. I, there's a lot of coordinating. And I mean, it, would it be worth it to have like three trucks platoon for like 10 miles no, yeah not really yeah and it's and it, it seems to some extent like it's not that exciting to talk about platooning at level one and two right that's what the ata was saying it said realistically they're like hey here's what to expect in 2018 right. it's level one and two platooning and it's like well that's basically cruise control platooning right that's what trucks already do yeah they really do right I was, as i was driving back from atlanta coming back up here to chattanooga I saw, you know, trucks drafting with each other very cooperatively. So, like, that's really, I don't know if, if that's, you know, one, one much th- is happening there. The thing that might be happening is that um, this might, like, have some sort of, like, gains in safety, right? Like, like as we add, hmm. you know, maybe it's better to call it driver assist technology than autonomous technology. For sure, technology. and I think that's a big theme. That's what we should expect to see is the driver right. assist. And so that, that you know, has um, sort of ripple effects with the cost of insurance, all of those sorts of things. One of the things while we're talking about autonomous that I think that, like, you know, drivers want to know, there's still, like, a theme of... Like, oh, autonomous, oh, it's this big, exciting story, and, and oh, look at all the cool technology. But in the end, are drivers really getting replaced? And I think that the story is no, yeah. not at all. I don't think so. Maybe making your life better. Yeah, and kind of changing the job a little bit. I think maybe it'll be less sort of this grueling, you know, 
hyper vigilant, you know, always, you know, tiring job. And it might turn into more of a kind of a techie job, more of a dispatcher ish Mm -hmm. job where all of a sudden, um, you know, drivers have their, if they want to keep their brains on, they can (laughs) think, you know, two, three, four loads ahead of the current one that they're hauling plan a little bit better, have more time to, you know, figure out the best rate using, you know, the new digital marketplaces that are coming on. Yeah. They can sort of, you know, just, um, you know, maybe it's like dispatchers that, that will be. Or, or an trouble. engineer, like on a train almost. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, I mean, and with all of the extra d- data that's coming, you know, through like the internet of things, the way, another one of the themes that TMC was, predictive maintenance right and right. how um, all of these truck components are going to be hooked up to the internet are going to be reporting on their conditions and stuff like that and i mean yeah it's it's possible that and i'm sure it's likely that all of that data will be flowing back to the carrier back to the oem but if the driver isn't actively driving maybe the driver can also pay attention to what's going on in his truck and you know figure out um what what to tell the maintenance people and stuff like that. Yeah. And so I think that one of the, uh, the themes of TMC and, and that we're just seeing culturally, uh, is, is, um, that this is an improvement. Uh, this is, um, you know, do not be afraid. Uh, and, and you know, there's actually a recent study conducted by um, AAA Insurance that that was they they did a survey. Americans are becoming more comfortable with uh, autonomous in general. So um, besides just a, you know, culturally, we're becoming a little bit more uh, accepting of it. And, and drivers, uh, truckers should not only be more com- feel more comfortable, but I, th- I would say rest assured that this is for your benefit, whether it might seem like that right now or not. Right. That's that's yeah. what I that's the, one of the the trends and the themes that I've been seeing. Right. Making trucking, making truck driving an easier, safer job. Yeah. In a lot of ways. Okay. Um. The other thing that we were going to talk about was last mile. Um, were there any like product offerings or panels or uh, presentations you saw at TMC that touched on that? There was, yeah. There was a big, um, a big panel um, featuring a lot of the leaders in in last mile delivery. Uh, there was there were experts from uh, Damler, uh, Chuck Blake, uh, Mercedes Benz uh, vans. Uh, Nick Templehoff, uh, Penske had Mike Hassanick, uh, Cummins had Thomas Dahlmeyer, and UPS had Dwayne Lippincott. Um, and they all discussed, um, you know, like last mile, but really from a point of view of how are we going to like be able to maintain all of this new fuel and all of these new way- methods of refueling and, and just maintaining these new vehicles? It was it was pretty fascinating to hear. Yeah, yeah. Um, you said something that uh, Dan Lippincott quoted this like astronomical figure of the uh, sort of about the variety of vehicles that UPS was using. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 a fast. If you really get wrap your head around th- this number, it's fascinating. UPS currently uses nine thousand different types of vehicles in their fleets today. So, and that's everything from like like actual bicycles yeah. to electric bicycles to motorcycles 
you know, what else? All, all kinds of things. I mean, one of the actually one of the funny things um, that he said, uh, he showed a big picture of um, a fleet of like 1930s cars. And he said, uh, he said this was th- this was a fleet of cars that UPS used in the circa 1920s and 30s that uh, were all electric cars that worked in mm. operation for 20 years. Whoa. And he just said sometimes you know history has a way of repeating itself. Interesting. It really is. And, and one of the takeaways that like he really pushed was he, he just said one of the he, he said, do not be afraid. You know, he was like, fear can mean one of two things. It can it can stand for forget everything and run or it can it can stand for face everything and rise. So inspirational. <laughs> Wasn't it? It's a great anachronism. Uh, and, but it was, it, it's, you know, it's a point well taken. Like he, he, he even like risked, I think, a little bit saying that personally, he thinks one of the things that the industry struggles with is, is, is this very maintenance thing. It's, it's adapting. Like, you know, he, he suggested that the industry needs to get ready to focus on just-in-time maintenance. Oh, right. Yeah. So basically using data to predict when fail, component failures will occur. So right now, there's yeah. two. There's the reactive maintenance and even sort of um, uh, proactive maintenance, if you want to call it that, is wasteful in two different ways, right? So either you fix something after it breaks and there's a truck stopped on the side of the road, the, the shipment is late, you're incurring penalties, the driver is you know not getting his miles, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Um, you fix it after it's broken. Mm-hmm. Or you fix it well before it needs to be. You, know, you replace a part well before it needs to be replaced. And therefore, you're sort of missing out on the actual lifespan of that component. Yeah. And so with you know, basically the idea is that with like a more intensely implemented Internet of Things with more data on every part of the truck, we can squeeze out all of the productivity of these components and still maximize uptime. I think that that is um, actually for sure where um, IoT, Internet of Things, um, analysis and data gathering comes into play. Um, And that is something we're hearing a lot of, you know, kind of technical jargon uh, from, you know, the it's it's jargon, but it's 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 fascinating. It's very true. Um, But in, in this specific case, I think, you know, what Lippincott is talking about is, hey, we don't have to like you know, create laborious training manuals and do crazy things. We need to like, hey, right now we need to educate ourselves. We need to listen to what's happening. There are a lot of different kinds of solutions. And like, it doesn't take that much to anticipate where, say, like, you know, there's some charging stations and we need to have parking there. You know, it's like there's there's some, if, if, if bikes... If we're using a lot more bikes, like how about coordinating that with actual bike shops right now and being able to pay them, you know, to be able to facilitate and have some of the um, utilities to to fix those vehicles? 
Right. Um, so right. there's just there are solutions if we will embrace them and anticipate them, and you know and just and try to like welcome the the, the changes because a lot of our cities are asking for compliance now. They're they're wanting us to be emissions free, and um, you know as as the regulations come into play and as these like as Pinsky and uh, and Cummins and and Damler and Mercedes, you know, as they all try to adapt to the changes, um, like I, maybe we can help as an industry make these things happen. Did they talk a lot about um, e-commerce and Amazon? W- one thing I noticed uh, that popped up in the news recently was that uh, Stiefel Nicholas, the investment bank that you know work, studies a lot of transportation and logistics companies, you know keeps track of the company's performance, uh, helps uh, with mergers and acquisitions and stuff like that. They recently upgraded UPS stock to a buy, which is kind of interesting because in in January, UPS was trading around $134, and it's fallen like, I want to say, you know, just off the top of my head, like 25% down to about $108, $109 today. and so it's kind of interesting that, you know, a stock that almost looks like it's in free fall for the past few months, they're upgrading to a buy. But basically what they said in their research note was that the sell-off, you know, went to – I think part of it was because UPS sort of had disappointing earnings during the holiday season. Mm-hmm. Um, they kind of underestimated the intensity of the volume they were going to face. Um didn't make as much money, as high margins as they should have. And, you know, so their stock started, started falling. Stiefel basically said that the sell-off has gone too far, that now, right now, the stock is actually underpriced, that there's plenty of upside for investors at dollars. And there's kind of saying that fears that, you know, Amazon really poses a huge threat to UPS are sort of overblown. So, yeah. so UPS is, you know, one of Amazon's biggest customers, um, what do you think? I mean, do you agree with that? I, yeah, well, so there's... I mean, I know they're the experts, but I mean, what are we... Yeah, I mean, no one really knows. I mean, everyone is, you know, we see Amazon building up capacity. We see them mm-hmm. building their own distribution centers, you know, leasing tra- thousands of trailers, you know, um, doing that sort of thing. But at the same time, you know, I, I don't know, like the, the Stiefel analyst was sort of saying that Amazon can't really afford to do without UPS. They can't really afford to replace them. And they also probably can't afford to even replicate their last mile delivery and still make money. Yeah, at least perhaps not anytime soon. I I will say that um, while it wasn't something discussed at the conference, at least that I came across, um, I tend to agree from the analysts that I've spoken with that for, for two big reasons. One is that the infrastructure to really it's going to be a decade in the making for Amazon to at least globally be able to compete with um, UPS uh, or FedEx. Um, But the second thing is, I think, um, you know, you and I have discussed before is the density and the, the intensity of what's happening is only growing. So there's more, there's room for more players in this market. Right. There's room for more players. I mean, one of the, I think one of the big, you know, e-commerce is growing so quickly, so fast. 
even yeah. something, you know, I want to say like uh, Target at one point in um, you know January or February said that they grew their e-commerce volumes by like 25%. And that was like, and Walmart had done like 45% in the same period. So like even you're growing 25% in every month over, you know, every month, year over year, like that's yeah. still not enough to keep up. Um, I think that transportation costs are one sort of constraint on the growth of e-commerce. I also yeah, think that point. the price of warehousing, the availability of square footage um, close to population centers is obviously... The much-talked-about infrastructure, although that relates to both yeah, of them. Yeah, of course. Know. I mean, and we already know that e-commerce is kind of you know, operating at capacity or even beyond capacity. It's, it's already at its limit, right? I mean, you order something on Amazon Prime, often, more often than not, it doesn't actually get there in two days, right? What? No, mine always gets there what? in two days. No. Actually, you're right. I, I would say 20% of the time. It's a day late. But it gets confusing, too, because, like, how many of them come from Amazon and how many are there? Are, is it a third party? Well, Prime is usually stuff that they have already in their fulfillment centers, yeah. you know, outside the city that they know that you Yeah, want. it's not a guaranteed thing. And you don't feel, feel like, as a customer, you have any recourse. So we know this sector is going to keep growing. And it's just, I think, a question of who is going to have more leverage, right? Is it going to be Amazon, the merchant, or is it going to be... UPS, FedEx, and the Postal Service, the parcel carriers. Mm-hmm. I mean, we saw um, right after the holiday season ended, both UPS and FedEx in kind of lockstep announced that they were going to in, uh, introduce holiday surcharges for the 2018 That's season right. for the first time. They were talking about double-digit um, rate increases on, on packages um, just as a matter of course, not even not even saying right. that like oh this is should be shocking. So you and, know, and UPS is 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 like leading the way with this. Just speaking of just in time, the, the just in time manufacturing, which is another huge topic to discuss. Yeah, uh, at, at some point, but um, that is I think our our wrap for the week. As always, we go into more detail about each of the topics we've talked about today on our website, FreightWaves.com. We will be producing these podcasts weekly, so be sure to subscribe to keep up with what's going on in the industry. Also, please leave us a review to let us know your opinions on our new podcast. Your support and suggestions will help us keep these podcasts coming on a regular basis. We also have a big conference coming up at the end of May that's going to bring together a lot of the big names in the industry. So visit Transparency18.com to learn more about that. That'll do it for today. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next week on What What the the truck? Truck.